Hello and welcome to Hush Blackwell's Labor Law Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Godar, and together with my Hush Blackwell colleagues and thought leaders from around the country, we will discuss and explore the ever-changing issues in the world of labor law. President Biden promised to be the most pro-union president ever, and he is fulfilling that promise. The next four years promises to be a wild ride, so buckle up and join us on the Labor Law Insider Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Labor Law Insider Podcast. This is Tom Godar, and we have a special thing today. We're on part three of our Remedies podcast, and quite honestly, we thought there was only going to be two parts. But this special part three of the Labor Law podcast focusing on Remedies was important since on June 23rd, after we recorded our earlier podcast, General Counsel Abruzzo released another memo focused on remedies. And the real-life lessons regarding such remedies began to emerge in the context of the nationwide Starbucks campaign. (laughs) Indeed, in my uh, practice town of Madison, Wisconsin, four Starbucks stores are being organized or were being organized. And as of June 30, the first successful campaign for Starbucks was concluded with a vote 15 to 1 favoring the union. So to discuss these develops, I welcome back Terry Potter, our consummate labor law insider. As you might remember, Terry was formerly a board agent with the National Labor Relations Board. So when we talk about our insider, he's the real deal. He's also been uh, counsel with Hush Blackwell for, Terry, I'm afraid to say how many years, counseling our clients and our friends on how to interact with the laws, the regulations, and the regulators regarding labor law and union issues. Terry, even when we began the podcast on the issue of NLRB remedies and the tougher remedies or insistence on tougher remedies, um, there has been some development since that time. You're aware, I know, of the June 23rd uh, memo, the GC memo 22-06, dealing with uh, efforts to secure full remedies and settlements. Tell me a little bit more about that order and what it might mean for employers. Well, I think primarily what it means is that it's the general counsel's office putting an exclamation point on their efforts to enhance uh, remedies uh, in their cases. I mean, you know, really informing the public, meaning employers, and frankly, people like us, people who represent uh, employers in these workplace issues that, you know, we're very, very serious about these remedies. We're not backing off. This isn't a pure PR issue. We intend to toe the line and have these enhanced remedies in every case, no exception, um, which is different than what it has been in the past. Yeah, there's historically been a fair amount of autonomy uh, by the regional directors of the various NLRB regions around the country. Isn't that correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, they've always had a lot of autonomy. You know, using discretion is often the buzzword that's uh, provided to the regional directors and the regional attorneys in prosecuting these cases, which, you know, they should have because, um, you know, they're the ones who have investigated the case and have. Um, 
uh, directed to pleadings. Um, they know what's of interest and concern in their cases, so they should have that discretion. And to have this sort of, um, you know, discretion taken away from them, frankly, is, I think, not only rather bold by the general counsel, but uh, really not good management uh, on their end. And this memo celebrates some of the things we talked about, quite honestly, like reimbursing employees for late um, fees related to car loan payments and payment of uh, interest on loans that they uh, discriminate T. That's the general counsel's language. Discriminate T took out to cover living expenses. Posting of the explanation of employee rights at a facility, no big deal. But letters of apology to the reinstated employees. Training of supervisors. I mean, these are these are kind of a step beyond what I'm accustomed to. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there were some hints of these sorts of remedies in the past, but nothing as extensive as what's what we're seeing now. There's no question about it. Um, and and they're included in every complaint now as part of the re- remedy section. And included if you're trying to resolve these through a settlement. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, one so, of the Go ahead, Terry. I'm sorry. Yeah, just, just, I mean, I, I had a recent situation in which, again, I mean, the region was towing the line based upon these memos that GC was issuing. And, and, um, and fortunately, um, the administrative law judge who was assigned the case thought differently um, and, and was not bound from her perspective to the, you know, the GC's memos. And she took a settlement with provisions, um, frankly, that didn't include all these um, recent desires by the GC to have as part of the remedy in these cases. So at least from a strategic standpoint, as I think we might have touched upon earlier, um, one opportunity is to not ignore, I suppose, but to go to the um, ALJ assigned and say, hey. We're having difficulty with regard to coming up to a settlement, even though the substantive terms are uh, virtually agreed to. Um, Here is our uh, request for your authority to enter a settlement that's just a little bit more employer friendly. Yeah, I think they're going to they're going to look at it with a lot more discretion in their mind, because if the board isn't careful, I mean, they're going to overload the administrative law judges dockets and, you know. Um, everything is going to slow to a halt. And and so I think that administrative law judges are going to take advantage of settlements where they can to avoid that from happening. You know, Terry, talking about overloading, um, anybody who's paying attention knows that um, Starbucks has become the, the centerpiece of literally hundreds of its locations being organized simultaneously which is, of course, stretching the resources of the board significantly. But a development that's occurred, uh, again, consistent with the desires, admonitions, if you will, of General Counsel Abruzzo, is the issuing of bargaining orders, or at least the argument that they should be issued. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that and why that is significant. Yes, um, and and what it's not clear to me so far is whether or not She's going to take it one step further. Historically, uh, bargaining orders have been allowed where there's been some showing of majority status, either from a card check or an election or something of that nature. 
But in the background, there are some older cases, older cases in which the board has issued what they refer to as a non-majority bargaining order, where even though um, a majority status has not been established by a card check or an election, that the egregious nature of the uh, unfair labor practices involved are such that um, they're going to issue a bargaining order without a showing of majority status. Now, again, I don't know if that's part of the game plan here. Um, it's not at least openly discussed in any of the memos, but I imagine that might be the next step. Well, and I see as well, and I'd love your comment, my sense is that a bargaining order would be offered in circumstances where, in, uh, at least in the past 20 or 30 years, it was just calling for a new election. So exactly. even if there had been a bargaining or a majority status shown by a card check, if the board looked at the cards, then the uh, employer entered in a campaign with the union. Six weeks later, a vote is taken. The union loses two to one, but the union also pursues um, unfair labor practices. Then instead of saying, yep, there were a couple of unfair labor practices, we believe. So have the election again. They're going to say, nope. We're just going to impose a bargaining order. You must recognize this unit. Do you see that as becoming more likely under the uh, current board? Yes. I think that's probably the primary direction they're, they're headed here, uh, that scenario you just put out. So, uh, I mean, it's definitely what they're pleading in their complaints. I was reviewing some of the complaints um, that have issued recently where a bargaining order is included, and that's what you describe is exactly as what's taking place. Well, and there used to be an old saw, um, which is win the election, worry about the uh, ULPs later, um, at least from the employer side, of course. I suppose the union says it inside too. But uh, um, in this case, um, there would be a, a lot more head scratching about whether some item that might historically have passed muster, is it going to pass muster under the current board? And what's the outcome? Might we end up winning an election but having a bargaining obligation anyhow? No, not only I, I that. I tell you, it's, it's confusing to me. Well, not only that, but, you know, oftentimes these, these bargaining orders come in conjunction with um, cases in which employees have been discharged, multiple employees, and oftentimes the board's issuing not only you know, 10J injunctions for the discharges, you know, requiring reinstatement uh, pending the outcome of the case. Um, and things of that nature. So there's a lot more in play here than there used to be. And I mean, not only about the back pay issues and whatnot, but you're talking about legal fees that are um, mounting up when you're engaging in this sort of litigation. Well, Terry, thanks a lot for uh, helping um, walk through some of the developments that have occurred, frankly, in late June that we wanted to include in our discussion with our friends and uh, clients regarding NLRB remedies and the impact and implications of stiffening those remedies, whether it's in the context of ULPs or ULPs um, within the context of an election. Thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.